A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And of course, a reminder to get your Sfarim and books at the YU Sfarim sale. You want to want to be the only one who didn't go, so you may as well go and you'll never regret it. You'll have great stuff to read uh, all the time that you're not listening to Jewish History Soundbites. I want to share a letter from one of our great Listeners, um, here it goes. I wanted to bring up something that you may not realize. I keep noticing that in many podcasts you refer to different people and leaders as extremists. Most recently, this was used in the Tells podcast. The issue with using this term is twofold. Labeling who is extreme always depends on which side you're standing on, and choosing one over the other will depend on if you are on one side or the other. Using the term means picking a side. In addition, extremist is usually using is used, used as a derogatory term to disqualify or to discredit the position of the extremist. I understand that different political entities and publications use those terms against others as this is a way to protect themselves from contrary opinions, but as an outside objective historian, I think a better term can be found. End of letter. So, um, okay, my my response to that is that, uh, okay, I don't know if I uh, agree with everything said, but it's definitely better and ideal to be careful with which terms are used. And I will try to find a better term. So um, I will say, I think that even though this letter is a, an extreme position on the word extremism, I'll be extremely careful in the future. And uh, sorry, but I have an affinity towards corny humor. So therefore, I had to share that as well. And what better way to introduce tonight's topic of Kotsk, the upcoming yard site of the Kotsker, than to talk about extremism. The word extremism and you think of Kutsk. Um, so it's the best way to introduce the topic. And um, 
when one of the highlights of our trips to Poland, and this is actually one of our most oft-visited sites, is to go to Kutsk. It's a little off the beaten track when you go from uh, Warsaw to Lublin, which is what we do very often. Just you, you veer off a little bit, and you end up in in Kutsk. And it's a special place outside of the town, and it's a little, uh, you know, off the beaten track type of road. And you go into this overgrown uh, cemetery with trees all over, and there you are, you're in front of the Kutzker himself, with all that, that that it brings to memory. There's been so much written about the Kutzker and from so many different angles. And even after all that's been written about him, he still seems someone mysterious, someone beyond their comprehension, definitely one of the most enigmatic characters in the history of Hasidus or in modern Jewish history altogether. So, Rebbe Mendel Morgenstern, known to history as the Kutzker, and we'll start off the topic by what the old Polish Hasidim used to say, when talking about the mystery of Kutsk, you know, at, uh, at some point in his life, which we'll get to, he goes into isolation. He um, leaves. He leaves his leadership, active leadership of Hasidim, in 1839, and for almost the last 20 years of his life, till he dies in 1859, he he's not in total totally isolated. That's definitely a misconception, but he was very much in, in Ger. They call it, for instance, the Yemei Hesker the days that he was closed off from the world. And the question is, what instigated that? And that's part of the mystery, uh, or the mystique, or whatever you want to call it, of cuts. And the old Polish Hasidim used to say, Der was zokt weisnicht, und der was weist zoknicht. The ones who know don't say, and the ones who say don't know. So it's difficult to try to then go ahead and and talk about it, and 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 then and then claim to know because as soon as you claim to know and you're saying it, then then you don't know. So we'll have to try to figure out how to deal with that. And interestingly enough, we seem because he seems so, like such a legend and such a almost mythical figure. So he seems as part of a distant past. Well, just about a, a year or two ago, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, someone in Yerushalayim. He was 102 years old at the time. And he died about a year later, so at 103, he was completely lucid. And he told me uh, something that is astounding. In my years of interviewing, I, I, I was like, uh, I never heard something like this. I was almost shaking. He said, you know, when I was a young child, which is going back almost 100 years before, I, there was someone in my shtetl that uh, my father brought me to. I forgot the name of it. It was somewhere not far from Warsaw. And he said, uh, my father brought me to see someone. And this older Jew that I met when I was a young child, my father brought me to see him because his sandik at his bris had been the kutzker. And my father said to me, when I was like five or six years old, he said, give a look at this yid. This yid was held by the kutzker himself. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, opposite someone who had seen someone who was held and uh, seen by the Kutzker. So, someone who's someone who's so mythical, but yet not that distant. I mean, it brings him all of a sudden much closer, and it makes him a real person, and much closer than we would ever imagine. So, he's born in a little town called Gureya in Galicia, to a non-Hasidic family. At a young age, he goes to the Chais of Lublin. He then left 
later on with the uh, to Pshischa, to the Yid HaKadosh of Pshischa, and after the passing of the Yid HaKadosh, he is, his, uh, his leader is uh, the leader of Pshischa Chassidim, of Simcha Bonim of Pshischa. Now, uh, when he leaves, uh, when he uh, leaves, his, his father wasn't that happy that he became, he became a, a Chassid. His father, you know, I said he grew up in a non-Chassidic home. And his father said to him, you have to come back. I'm not interested in this new new business. And the Kutzker displaying the very independent characteristic that would be that would accompany him throughout his life. He said to his father, with all due respect, but um, it says, Zekeli Vehu, Avi The Pasik tells us that first it's Zekeli, it's my God. And afterwards it's Avi. Then it's my father's God. So first I have to find my God, what's good for me, my path in the service of God. And if the, and after that I could be worried about what you what you want for me in my in my service of God. So I'm doing what I want and I'm joining Chasidus. Now um and Pshischa, he became very close with Rubitzlik of Varka, um who was also one of the great leaders of Pilus Chasidus in the next generation. They both came out of Pshischa and both very different personalities. From Varka comes Amshinov, comes Alexander, comes others, and and um, more of a calmer version of uh, Pshischa Chasidim, but the two of them themselves were pretty close, even with all their different types of personalities and disagreements. In fact, when uh, already when they had parted ways, and they were both leaders in their own right, excuse me, in their own right. So one time the Kutzker came back to Pshischa on the yard side of Reb Simcha Bunim. And he meets Reb Yitzchak Varka there, who would also come for the yard side of Reb Simcha Bunim. We also go to Pshischa and Varka on our trips. All these are places are the center of Poland, and they're uh, quite often part of our itineraries. They're all like legendary places, and we are able to weave the whole glorious story of Pailish Chasidis from one stop to the next. And he sees Reb Yitzchak Varka there, and he says to him, do you think I came... Because Rasim Chabonim says I came to Daven by his kever. He said, "I'm not a kever yid. I don't go hang around uh, cemeteries." Which means that he wouldn't be excited about our tours. But we are kevered yidin on our tours, so I hope the Kutsk is okay with that. But either way, he says to him, "I'm not a kever yid. I didn't come to be by Rasim Chabonim's kever. I came to see you. I knew you would be coming to his kever, and I wanted to see you." So um, there was a certain affinity that they had for each other. Uh, following Reb Simcha Bunim Reb Shishcha's death in 1827, so most of the Pshischa Chassidim followed um, the Kutzker. They didn't follow Reb Simcha Bunim's son, and later Reb Simcha Varka. They, they, they followed the Kutzker. The Chidush Arim, led by the Chidush Arim, who was one of the leading Chassidim in Pshischa at the time, who many thought that he would become a Rebbe in his own right, but he said, I saw a light emanating from Tomashov, where the Kutzker was living at the time, and I followed that light for 32 years. And uh, the Kutzker started off in Tomashov for two years, and then two years later moves to Kutsk, which gets his name till, till, till today. And what followed was about 10 very stormy years when he uh, tried to reach the ideal of his Hasidus, which we'll talk about in a second what that ideal was. In fact, there's a, um, in, in uh, one of the books I read about Ger by, oh, I forgot his first name, Bromberg, from Bromberg maybe, about his early years in Ger. He talks about how in the early 1900s, when the Imre Emes first became the Rebbe in Ger, so he said, he described that in the atmosphere of Ger, he said, one still found 
elderly Hasidim who remembered the good old stormy days of Kutsk. In other words, that was a an excitement in the in the amongst the Hasidim of Poland in the generation before the war that you could seek out some elderly Hasidim who 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 remembered that time. It was a special time and it was unique in history, the atmosphere that was there. The, the Kutzker was trailblazed a new way in Hasidus, uh, sort of a new way. It was based off of Pshischa, but it was brought to a new extreme and to new levels. He 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 emphasized extreme, I was just told to use different words, but he was extreme. There's no other way to cut the cake. He was... Um, Everything about him was extreme. He even said, someone told him that the Rambam advises to go the middle way, the Derech HaMamutza, to go in the middle way, not to be too extreme. And he says, if you walk in the streets of Kutz, you'll notice that the horses, they go in the middle of the road, and the people go on the sidewalks. They're the ones on the side. Mention, people. And he said, the horses stay in the middle. The ones who are on the extremes are people, are real people. And that's where he wanted to be. He was proud of being on the extreme. He didn't pretend that he was uh, any any other way. And he said that the two main emphases in his in his way was extreme truth and honesty, not fooling um, anyone around you, not trying to fool God, and and worst of all, not to fool yourself. Uh, Self deception was the worst thing in the Kutzker's mind, and a total and intense belief in Hashem, total emuna. And to an extreme, to, like a total, um, everything to an extreme. And the two main things were MS and Emuna, which when they collected his sayings and uh, his tire, eventually they called the Sefer MS and Emuna. And if you want to call the slogan of Kutsk was truth and belief in Hashem, both to uh, absolute extreme. And many of the stories and legends about Kutsk definitely illustrate that and it you know, even though the Kutzker himself was succeeded by his son of David and later on by his grandchildren, Kapilov and Sokolov, Lukov, and and uh, and Kutzk itself, but um, uh, but it was mainly succeeded through his through his students, through his disciples, Ger and Sochachov, which was also his family. His son-in-law was Sochachov, and uh, excuse me, and uh, others. Radzimina was somewhat connected to Kutz. Most of these. Uh, Hasidism of central Poland were completely wiped out uh, in the war, um, but um, but it definitely made an imprint on what uh, what Hasidus was all about. He he was not impressed with the miracles, with the miracle workers in Hasidus, which made him such a controversial figure in the within the Hasidic world. Is that he was very sharp in his criticism. Of other rebbes of his day, and there were there were those who opposed him because of it. I mean, Rupshitz, Rizhin, others. They they were not excited about his brutal honesty and the way he put down the performance of miracles and meifsim. Uh, one time, a chassid came to him and was telling him different meifsim, different miracles that his rebbe performed, and the Kutsker made his made the fact that he was unimpressed with it very clear, and he said to him. <coughs> Excuse me. He said to him, let me ask you something. Can your Rebbe perform the miracle of making a genuine chassid, taking a regular Jew and turning him into a chassid? If he could perform a miracle like that, that's a mifus that I would be impressed by. And uh, I'm not impressed with the other type of miracles. It was a very intellectual chassidus in the fact that uh, that he, 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 he demanded intellectual honesty. Um, 
He demanded that you be totally pure and honest with yourself and what you're thinking and not, not try to be mimicking anybody. When the Sakhal of a Rebbe, Rabbi Sakzelig Morgenstern, uh, was, became the Rebbe later on, he said, I want to be a chassid of my grandfather, the Kotzker, but he's the hardest Rebbe to be a chassid of. Because if you, most, most Rebbe's, you do like the Rebbe did and then you're a chassid of them. But if I do like he did, then I'm a nochmacher, I'm a mimicker, I'm just mimicking. And that's the opposite of everything that was about cuts, because that's not pure honesty. That's not being who you are for real. And therefore, I have to be a chassid of my grandfather by not being like him, which is a little tricky. In fact, the custom in Kutsk was not to give a hesped, not to eulogize someone who passed away. Because inevitably, when you give a hesped, you exaggerate, and it veers from the path of exact truth and of humility. And you know, one of the things that they did in Kutsk was you never did good deeds in public. You never did mitzvahs in public. You never did any of that in public because if you're doing it in public, it means you're just trying to impress people. You're not being really honest that you're doing it because this is the right thing to do. So they used to say in Poland that it's easier to catch a regular chassid doing an Avera than to catch a kutzker doing a kutzker chassid doing a mitzvah because they always tried to hide what they were doing. So the custom was not to not to say hespedim uh, because that would be always an exaggeration and it wouldn't be. You know, it's not a display of humility and, and pure honesty. One time a close chassid of the Kutzker passed away, and all of a sudden, by the Leviah, the Kutzker turns to one of his chassidim and says, Give a hesped. The chassid was taken aback. And uh, we don't give a spadim in Kutzker. We don't question the Rebbe. So he decided to comply, but he complied by giving what we would say a Kutzker hesped. And it can, it, uh, it can, it, uh, this was the entire hesped. He said, it says in Kaheles, Mesukim Shnas HaOyved, the sleep of the one who is an Oyved, the one who toiled, is sweet. Shlof Gut, sleep, sleep well. And that was it. That was the end of the Kutzker Hesped. In, uh, on the same note of trying to hide any good deeds, any mitzvahs that they were doing, so the Kutzker's son, Reb David, was one sick and he was dying. He didn't die. He recovered in the end. He became the Rebbe on his father's passing. But uh, Reb David was dying. They thought he was dying. And he bounced back. He was able to recover. So the Kutzker asked him, let me ask you something. You were on the brink of death. We were all surrounding you, looking at you. We thought you were gone. What were you thinking when in those, what you thought were your last moments? What, what was it that you were thinking? And he says to him, Father, I'll tell you what I was thinking. I said to myself, it would be really nice if I cried out and I screamed out Shema Yisrael in my last moments. And I said, and everyone would be very impressed. Look, in his last moments, he's crying out Shema Yisrael. But then I'm doing it just to impress people. So I controlled myself in what I thought was my last moments. And I said Shema very quietly so no one would hear. The Kutzker, his father, kisses him on his forehead and says, my son... You are now a true Kutzker Chassid. That was uh, the ideal in Kutzker. And it started from a young age, way before he was Rebbe, the first one. He got married. And this is a famous story. It's one of the most famous stories of Kutzker. Everyone knows it. He was by his father-in-law's house, and everyone tries to impress their shver when they first go to them for Shabbos. Not the Kutzker. He doesn't try to impress anybody. And his father-in-law, when he starts eating the soup, he says, Lekavit Shabbos Kodesh. And the young 14-year-old uh, son-in-law 
says, Lekavid my boich, Lekavid in honor of my stomach. So the father-in-law says, what do you mean? What about Shabbos? He says, well, honesty is more important. And I know I'm not really doing it, Lekavid Shabbos. I'm doing it because I'm hungry. So that was, his intensity came way before he went to the, he was ready by the Chayz, way before he was a real Pshischa, uh, um, you know, chassid, and really was part of his fiery personality. It was the fire of cuts that burned anyone who came too close. And but there was the high demands that he demanded of everyone around him. In fact, at one point when he was already a famous rebbe, he visited his hometown of Guraya, where he grew up, and he visited his Aleph Bey's rebbe, who was an elderly Jew at the time. But he did not visit his other rebbe, his Gemara rebbe, the one who taught him Gemara when, as a young child. And this Gemara Rebbe was insulted. This is his prized student who now became a famous Rebbe. So he when, when he went to him and he said, how come you didn't come visit me? And he said, let me tell you something. I've, I've, I'm very thankful for everything you taught me. But you're a Gemara Rebbe. And anything that you taught me could always be explained differently. It could be with more depth or explain and analyze it differently. That's the nature of Talmudic study and analysis. He said, anything could always be argued on. I can always say it differently. But my Aleph Bey's Rebbe, he said, he taught me pure truth. While an Aleph is an Aleph, and a Bey's is a Bey's. He said, that no one can argue on. Everyone knows that an Aleph is an Aleph and a Bey's is a Bey's. So what he taught me is absolute and pure truth. And that I have so much respect and thanks for that I went to visit him. Uh, the Svasemes, Alter, was a young child. Uh, he was young. He was about 13 when the Kutzker died. And his grandfather, who raised him, the Chidush Yerim, who was the closest, very close with the Kutzker, his closest guy, you know, for sure after the Ishbitzer left, the Kutzker was, uh, the Chidush was very close uh, with him. And he was, you know, the Svasemes grew up in his grandfather's house. So he brought him a couple of times to the Kutzker. So uh, I think I might have said this when I spoke with Asasemis. Uh, he heard, you know, every, the Kutzker, even during the time that he was closed off from the world, he was shut out uh, in isolation, but still the, the windows, the doors were open, and people were able to come into the house. They weren't able to get to schmooze with the Kutzker or go into his room. But the, he, his policy was to leave everything open. So when Fival the Shamus uh, the Rebbitson, excuse me, the second wife of the Kutzker, who was actually, um, this made, this second wife made the Kutzker the Chidush brother-in-law. They were married to sisters in the Kutzker's uh, second marriage. Uh, she complained that, uh, that uh, some silver or some, I remember, some cutlery were stolen. And Fival the Shamish said, it was the famous Shamish of the Kutzker, said, everything's open, why shouldn't they steal? So from the next room, you hear the Kutzker yelling out, but Fival, it says in the Torah, Loi Sigzal. And he said it with such an intensity. Everything the Kutzker said was yelled with an intensity, with a truth to it, that it seemed very real. And so Asema said from that point on, it seemed utterly impossible to steal. He had an interesting policy, the Kutzker, during this leaving everything open, leaving the uh, windows and all that open, is that he even let animals into the house. And there was always around the house, there were bugs Mice, he said, V'rachamov al kol ma'asov, Hashem's mercy is on all his creatures and creations, so everything is allowed in the house. You can't chase them out, you can't set traps, and you can't kill them. 
You know, we might call him the first animal rights activist in the history of Hasidus, uh, in a different way, obviously. Um, he, he one time, uh, one, one time a Hasid tried to give him money, you know, it was customary to give, uh, to give, to give money and uh, to, to Rebbe's, not by the Kutzker. He, he yelled, he yelled at him, money? And then he spit on the floor. And and for the ones who were around him when he said that, he the way he yelled it, money, you're trying to give me money, and then he spit. He said they they people around him for years afterwards they couldn't fathom that there was any importance for, for the whole idea of money. He he was he the disdain that he had for it. Again, everything was with him became so real and truth. Uh he he one time uh, a chassid came to report to him that he had a big Yeshua, he had a child, someone got better who was sick. So the Kutzker thought that he was trying to thank him for a bracha that he gave, and that's why he had the child, that's why he had this Yeshua. So the Kutzker starts yelling, it's not my fault, it's not my fault that, that you had this child. It had nothing to do with me. Again, because of uh, because of the way he was and the way he, he acted. In fact, a chassid once came to the Kutzker and said, I'm very troubled. The Kutzker says to him, what, why are you troubled? So he said, he said I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if anything makes sense about life, about our existence. You know, he's getting philosophical. About what the purpose of our living is. So the Kutzker says, so what? So the chassid says, well, if there's no purpose to it all, then, then you know, there's no purpose to our to our doing anything of you know everything that we're supposed to be doing all the following the Torah and if there's no purpose then I'm speculating that there's no purpose to anything. So what is so what so why are we doing it? So the chassid, so the Kutzker says so what? So the chassid continues. He goes what if there's no what if there's no scharva einish? What if there's no there's no din v'cheshbin? So the Kutzker says, so what? So the Chassid says, what if the whole Torah makes no sense? So the Kutzker says, so what? So the Chassid says, then what's the point of everything? So the Kutzker finally says to him, obviously there's a point to everything, and obviously the Torah makes sense, and obviously everything. But it sounds like to me that you're thinking. Nothing bad ever came out of thinking too much. That's what that's what his response was, which, which is it was a very powerful response, you know, to to allow that. Which, you know, he took he took these things to the extreme, and he even said, "I don't need a lot of Hasidim. I don't need a big court. I need forty Hasidim to scream from the rooftops, Hashem Hu Elikim." He said, "That's what my goal." He said, I want to lead 40 Hasidim out to the woods and bring down man from heaven. I want to, I want to, I want to have, uh, I want to have people to be able to, to be so pure and so real, like he said, to scream from the rooftops. And his disappointment at the end of the 10 years, the first 10 years in Kutsk, was that he felt like that there were thousands of Hasidim coming to him, but he wasn't getting them up to this somewhat unrealistic ideal. He was not willing to compromise on anything, and he wasn't being followed in the absolute ideal, in the absolute extremity that he wanted them. And this, and this led to, to a certain 
breakdown somewhat. The extremity was unsustainable, and he and what happened was what's known. Like I started off with with the um, with the derva zakt veisnisht and derva zakt The ones who know don't say. The ones who say don't know. But something happened. And what's known also in Polish Hasidus as Yenelel Shabbos, that Lel Shabbos, that night of Shabbos, where something happened, there was some sort of breakdown. The Kutzker got uh, angry, fell apart. They brought the Ishbitzer in to try to comfort him. They went for a walk on Friday afternoon. And the Ishbitzer, Matriyasef Liner, was uh, his, one of his closest Hasidim at that point. And they go out for a walk in the forest Friday afternoon. And at some point, they're walking mainly in silence, not really discussing much. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of this is legend. It's hard to know exactly what happened. And at some point, the Ishbitzer says, you know, we might have, might have gone past the Tchum. It's already night. It's already Shabbos. We should head back. And the Kutzker, his mood gets worse. He's clearly upset, clearly disturbed by something. He goes back, he goes into his room, he doesn't come out to the Hasidim, he doesn't come out. And when he finally does come out, several hours later, he's boiling. There's a volcano about to erupt inside, and everyone's tense, no one knows what the next thing is going to happen, and it's not clear what the next thing that happened was. But something happened on that Friday night, something uh, um, um, clicked, um, the Kutzker made some sort of decision to go into isolation, um, he either some sort of breakdown or some sort of something is <laughs> quite a few different versions um, spread by by both the uh, the Hasidim uh, in the Hasidic world who were anti Kutsk. They said that something happened there in Kutsk and uh, he did something inappropriate and something wrong and uh, and therefore this is a proof that all our opposition to Kutsk was justified all these years. And in fact, the Ishbitzer left, which was also connected to Simchas Taira, which was a few months later. What well, didn't happen that Friday night, obviously, but the Simchas Taira story, which I discussed on the uh, episode with the Ishbitzer, um, he left. He left Kutsk, and you know, legend has it that he, as he's leaving, he says Mila Hashem Eli, and many Hasidim followed him and left Kutsk. So whatever they saw was quite disturbing. The Maskilim spread another rumor about what the Kutsker did on that Friday night, and the Chidush Yarim, which was who was a very calm figure usually, there's a sharp letter that he wrote, and he says anyone who spreads these terrible rumors about the Kutzker, the great uh, Kutzker, is, is wrong, um, he's, he's, he's still the Rebbe, he's still the Tzaddik, and he's, everything is, 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 is business as usual here, he continues seeing the Chidush Yarim, he continues seeing his children, his grandchildren, he would learn with his kids for the ne- next 20 years in isolation. He saw certain people, right? The Sachat Shavar Rebbe, Davni Nezer, married his daughter only much later. It was during the years of isolation, and the Sachat Shavar said he got everything from his father-in-law, even in learning he got from his father-in-law. So clearly, he was still somewhat with uh, the the people even afterwards, but uh, he went into this period of isolation that cut himself off. We'll end off with with uh, just the um, another couple of sayings and stories of the Kutzker. He was once, um, before this time, he was once testing a group of uh, children, Jewish children in a cheder, about what they were learning. And they were learning Parshas Bereshus. And at the end of the Parsha, 
the Torah goes through the genealogy, the ten generations between Adam and Nayach, and says this person lived Vayichi, Lemech, or whoever it is, or you know, all the different people there, and then Vayamais, and then he died, Vayichi, Vayamais, and the Kutzker asks one of the children to read, and the kid reads Vayichi Unehot Gilept, and he lived. And then he died. And the Kutzker said, you're reading it incorrectly. Can you read it again? The poor kid reads it again. And the Kutzker said, you're still reading it incorrectly. Let me teach you how to read it. And he screamed it. He said, living has to be a real, lively, fiery living. You can't just live. You have to be really alive. He said at another occasion, also a famous saying of the Kutzker, where is God? Wherever you let him in. You know, God is everywhere. That's what the Baal Shem Tov taught. And the Kutzker explained that to mean God is wherever you let him in. You have the choice of letting him in or not letting him in. And... Uh, you know, the Kutzka said that he, about being real, that someone who davens today, because he davened yesterday, so he said, a Russia Gamor, a wicked man, a completely wicked man, is better than he. Why is a wicked man better than he? Because a wicked man, a Russia Gamor, he said, a complete Russia, is someone who's always trying to be Mechadish. He's trying to find new things in how to be a Russia. So he said, so this guy, he's a Russia. But at least he's alive. He's always looking for new things. He's creative. He has initiative. He said, someone who davens today, just because he davened yesterday, he lost all his liveliness. He lost his fire. He doesn't have any fire left in his Yiddishkeit. He can't channel it anywhere. So so his goal was to have the fire burning, that it should always be fiery, it should always be powerful. And uh, even in his years of isolation, it was something he continued to teach and exemplify. So this was a little bit about the Kutzker. Of course, to com- cover the complete story of the Kutzker would take a lot more uh, than this uh, small episode, and you'll have to come along to Kutsk with us at some occasion to be able to continue the story of Kutsk. And um, this was Yudhi Gabriel with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and um, tours and trips. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.